Section 18 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations, by John Lord. Literary Genius, Part 3. There is another field of prose composition in which the Greeks and Romans gained great distinction and proved to themselves equal to any nation of modern times, that of eloquence. It is true we have not a rich collection of ancient speeches, but we have every reason to believe that both Greeks and Romans were most severely trained in the art of public speaking, and that forensic eloquence was highly prized and munificently rewarded. It began with democratic institutions and flourished as long as the people were a great power in the state. It declined whenever and wherever tyrants bore rule. Eloquence and liberty flourish together, nor can there be eloquence where there is not freedom of debate. In the fifth century before Christ, the first century of democracy, great orators arose, for without the power and the opportunity of defending himself against accusation, no man could hold an ascendant position. Socrates insisted upon the gift of oratory for a general in the army as well as for a leader in political life. In Athens, the courts of justice were numerous, and those who could not defend themselves were obliged to secure the services of those who were trained in the use of public speaking. Thus arose the lawyers, among whom eloquence was more in demand and more richly paid than in any other class. Rhetoric became connected with dialectics, and in Greece, Sicily, and Italy both were extensively cultivated. Empedocles was distinguished as much for rhetoric as for philosophy. It was not, however, in the courts of law that eloquence displayed the greatest fire and passion, but in political assemblies. These could only coexist with liberty, for a democracy is more favorable than an aristocracy to large assemblies of citizens. In the Grecian republics, eloquence as an art may be said to have been born. It was nursed and fed by political agitation, by the strife of parties. It arose from appeals to the people as a source of power. When the people were not cultivated, it addressed chiefly popular passions and prejudices. When they were enlightened, it addressed interests. It was in Athens, where there existed the purest form of democratic institutions, that eloquence rose to the loftiest heights in the ancient world, so far as eloquence appeals to popular passions. Pericles, the greatest statesman of Greece, 495 B.C., was celebrated for his eloquence, although no specimens remain to us. It was conceded by the ancient authors that his oratory was of the highest kind, and the epithet of Olympian was given to him, as carrying the weapons of Zeus upon his tongue. His voice was sweet, and his utterance distinct and rapid. Pisistratus was also famous for his eloquence, although he was a usurper and a tyrant. Isocrates, 436 B.C., was a professed rhetorician, and endeavored to base his art upon sound moral principles, and rescue it from the influence of the sophists. He was the great teacher of the most eminent statesmen of his day. Twenty-one of his orations have come down to us, and they are excessively polished and elaborated. But they were written to be read, they were not extemporary. His language is the purest and most refined Attic dialect. Lysias, 458 B.C., was a fertile writer of orations also, and he is reputed to have produced as many as 425. Of these, only 35 are extant. They are characterized by peculiar gracefulness and elegance, which did not interfere with strength. So able were these orations that only two were unsuccessful. They were so pure that they were regarded as the best canon of the Attic idiom. 
but all the orators of greece and greece was the land of orators gave way to demosthenes born 385 bc he received a good education and is said to have been instructed in philosophy by plato and in eloquence by isocrates but it is more probable that he privately prepared himself for his brilliant career as soon as he attained his majority he brought suits against the men whom his father had appointed his guardians for their waste of property and after two years was successful conducting the prosecution himself it was not until the age of thirty that he appeared as a speaker in the public assembly on political matters where he rapidly attained universal respect and became one of the leading statesmen of athens henceforth he took an active part in every question that concerned the state he especially distinguished himself in his speeches against macedonian aggrandizements and his philippics are perhaps the most brilliant of his orations but the cause which he advocated was unfortunate the battle of Cheronea. 338 bc put an end to the independence of greece and philip of macedon was all-powerful for this catastrophe demosthenes was somewhat responsible but as his motives were conceded to be pure and his patriotism lofty he retained the confidence of his countrymen accused by Aeschines, he delivered his famous oration on the crown afterward during the supremacy of alexander demosthenes was again accused and suffered exile Recalled from exile on the death of Alexander, he roused himself for the deliverance of Greece without success, and hunted by his enemies he took poison in the sixty-third year of his age, having vainly contended for the freedom of his country, one of the noblest spirits of antiquity and lofty in his private life. As an orator, Demosthenes has not probably been equaled by any man of any country. By his contemporaries he was regarded as faultless in this respect and when it is remembered that he struggled against physical difficulties which in the early part of his career would have utterly discouraged any ordinary man we feel that he deserves the highest commendation he never spoke without preparation and most of his orations were severely elaborated he never trusted to the impulse of the occasion he did not believe in extemporary eloquence any more than daniel webster who said there is no such thing all the orations of demosthenes exhibit him as a pure and noble patriot and are full of the loftiest sentiments he was a great artist and his oratorical successes were greatly owing to the arrangement of his speeches and the application of the strongest arguments in their proper places added to this moral and intellectual superiority was the magic power of his language majestic and simple at the same time rich yet not bombastic strange and yet familiar solemn and not too ornate grave and yet pleasing concise and yet fluent sweet and yet impressive which altogether carried away the minds of his hearers his orations were most highly prized by the ancients who wrote innumerable commentaries on them most of which are lost sixty of the great productions of his genius have come down to us demosthenes like other orators first became known as the composer of speeches for litigants but his fame was based on the orations he pronounced in great political emergencies his rival was Aeschines, who was vastly inferior to Demosthenes, although bold, vigorous, and brilliant. Indeed, the opinions of mankind for two thousand years have been unanimous in ascribing to Demosthenes the highest position as an orator among all the men of ancient and modern times. David Hume says of him that could his manner be copied, its success would be infallible over a modern audience. Says Lord Brougham, it is rapid harmony exactly adjusted to the sense it is vehement reasoning without any appearance of art it is disdain anger boldness freedom involved in a continual stream of argument so that of all human productions his orations present to us the models which approach the nearest perfection 
it is probable that the romans were behind the athenians in all the arts of rhetoric yet in the days of the republic celebrated orators arose among the lawyers and politicians it was in forensic eloquence that latin prose first appeared as a cultivated language for the forum was to the romans what the libraries are to us the art of public speaking in rome was early developed cato laelius carbo and the gracchi are said to have been majestic and harmonious in speech yet excelled by antonius crassus cotta sulpitus and hortensius the last had a very brilliant career as an orator though his orations were too florid to be read caesar was also distinguished for his eloquence its characteristics being force and purity coleus was noted for lofty sentiment brutus for philosophical wisdom caldeus for a delicate and harmonious style and calvus for sententious force but all the roman orators yielded to cicero as the greeks did to demosthenes these two men are always coupled together when allusion is made to eloquence they were preeminent in the ancient world and have never been equaled in the modern cicero 106 b c was probably not equal to his great grecian rival in vehemence in force in fiery argument which swept everything away before him nor generally in original genius but he was his superior in learning in culture and in breadth cicero distinguished himself very early as an advocate but his first great public effort was made in the prosecution of verres for corruption although verus was defended by hortensius and backed by the whole influence of the metelli and other powerful families cicero gained his cause more fortunate than burke in his prosecution of warring hastings who also was sustained by powerful interests and families the speech on manilian law when cicero appeared as a political orator greatly contributed to his popularity i need not describe his memorable character his successive elections to all the highest offices of state his detection of catiline's conspiracy his opposition to turbulent and ambitious partisans his alienations and friendships his brilliant career as a statesman his misfortunes and sorrows his exile and recall his splendid services to the state his greatness and his defects his virtues and weaknesses his triumphs and martyrdom these are foreign to my purpose no man of heathen antiquity is better known to us and no man by pure genius ever won more glorious laurels his life and labors are immortal his virtues and services are embalmed in the heart of the world few men ever performed greater literary labors and in so many of its departments next to aristotle and varro cicero was the most learned man of antiquity but performed more varied labors than either since he was not only great as a writer and speaker but also as a statesman being the most conspicuous man in rome after pompey and caesar he may not have had the moral greatness of socrates nor the philosophical genius of plato nor the overpowering eloquence of demosthenes but he was a master of all the wisdom of antiquity even civil law the great science of the romans became interesting in his hands and was divested of its dryness and technicality he popularized history and paid honor to all art even to the stage he made the romans conversant with the philosophy of greece and systematized the various speculations he may not have added to philosophy but no roman after him understood so well the practical bearing of all its various systems his glory is purely intellectual and it was by sheer genius that he rose to his exalted position and influence but it was in forensic eloquence that cicero was preeminent in which he had but one equal in ancient times roman eloquence culminated in him he composed about eighty orations of which fifty-nine are preserved some were delivered from the rostrum to the people and some in the senate some were mere philippics 
as severe in denunciation as those of demosthenes some were laudatory some were judicial but all were severely logical full of historical allusion profound in philosophical wisdom and pervaded with the spirit of patriotism francis w newman in his regal rome thus describes cicero's eloquence he goes round and round his object surveys it in every light examines it in all its parts retires and then advances compares and contrasts it illustrates confirms and enforces it till the hearer feels ashamed of doubting a position which seems built on a foundation so strictly argumentative and having established his case he opens upon his opponent a discharge of raillery so delicate and good-natured that it is impossible for the latter to maintain his ground against it or when the subject is too grave he colors his exaggerations with all the bitterness of irony and vehemence of passion critics have uniformly admired cicero's style as peculiarly suited to the latin language which being scanty and unmusical requires more redundancy than the greek the simplicity of the attic writers would make latin composition bald and tame to be perspicuous the latin must be full thus arnold thinks that what tacitus gained in energy he lost in elegance and perspicuity but cicero dealing with a barren and unphilosophical language enriched it with circumlocutions and metaphors while he freed it of harsh and uncouth expressions and thus became the greatest master of composition the world has seen he was a great artist making use of his scanty materials to the best effect he had absolute control over the resources of his vernacular tongue and not only unrivalled skill in composition but tact and judgment thus he was generally successful in spite of the venality and corruption of the times the courts of justice were the scenes of his earliest triumphs nor until he was a praetor did he speak from the rostrum on mere political questions as in reference to the manilian and agrarian laws it is in his political discourses that cicero rises to the highest ranks in his speeches against verus catiline and antony he kindles in his countrymen lofty feelings for the honor of his country and abhorrence of tyranny and corruption indeed he hated bloodshed injustice and strife and beheld the downfall of liberty with indescribable sorrow thus in oratory as in history the ancients can boast of most illustrious examples never even equalled still we cannot tell the comparative merits of the great classical orders of antiquity with the more distinguished of our times indeed only mirabeau pitt fox burke brougham webster and clay can even be compared with them in power of moving the people some of our modern reformers and agitators may be mentioned favorably but their harangues are comparatively tame when read in philosophy the greeks and romans distinguished themselves more even than in poetry or history or eloquence their speculations pertained to the loftiest subjects that ever tasked the intellect of man but this great department has already been presented there were respectable writers in various other departments of literature but no very great names whose writings have descended to us contemporaries had an exalted opinion of varro who was considered the most learned of the romans as well as their most voluminous author he was born ten years before cicero and is highly commended by augustine he was entirely devoted to literature took no interest in passing events and lived to a good old age st augustine says of him that he wrote so much that one wonders how he had time to read and he read so much we are astonished how he found time to write he composed four hundred and ninety books of these only one has descended to us de re rustica written at the age of eighty but it is the best treatise which has come down from antiquity on ancient agriculture 
we have parts of his other books and we know of still others that have entirely perished which for their information would be invaluable especially his divine antiquities in sixteen books his great work from which st augustine drew materials for his city of god varro wrote treatises on language on the poets on philosophy on geography and on various other subjects he also wrote satire and criticism but although his writings were learned his style was so bad that the ages have failed to preserve him the truly immortal books are most valued for their artistic excellences no man however great his genius can afford to be dull style is to written composition what delivery is to a public speaker the multitude do not go to hear the man of thoughts but to hear the man of words being repelled or attracted by manner seneca was another great writer among the romans but he belongs to the domain of philosophy although it is his ethical works which have given him immortality as may be truly said of socrates and epictetus although they are usually classed among the philosophers seneca was a spaniard born but a few years before the christian era he was a lawyer and a rhetorician also a teacher and minister of nero it was his misfortune to know one of the most detestable princes that ever scandalized humanity and it is not to his credit to have accumulated in four years one of the largest fortunes in rome while having served such a master but since he lived to experience nero's ingratitude seneca is more commonly regarded as a martyr had he lived in the republican period he would have been a great orator he wrote voluminously on many subjects and was devoted to a literary life he rejected the superstitions of his country and looked upon the ritualism of religion as a mere fashion in his own belief he was a deist but though he wrote fine ethical treatises he dishonored his own virtues by a compliance with the vices of others he saw much of life and died at fifty-three what is remarkable in seneca's writings which are clear but labored is that under pagan influences and imperial tyranny he should have presented such lofty moral truth and it is a mark of almost transcendent talent that he should unaided by christianity have soared so high in the realm of ethical inquiry nor is it easy to find any modern author who has treated great questions in so attractive a way quintilian is a latin classic and belongs to the class of rhetoricians he should have been mentioned among the orators yet like lysias the greek quintilian was a teacher of eloquence rather than an orator he was born forty a d and taught the younger pliny also two nephews of domitian receiving a regular salary from the imperial treasury his great work is a complete system of rhetoric institutiones oratoriae is one of the clearest and fullest of all rhetorical manuals ever written in any language although as a literary production it is inferior to the de oratore of cicero it is very practical and sensible and a complete compendium of every topic likely to be useful in the education of an aspirant for the honors of eloquence in systematic arrangement it falls short of a similar work by aristotle but it is celebrated for its sound judgment and keen discrimination showing great reading and reflection quintilian should be viewed as a critic rather than a rhetorician since he entered into the merits and defects of the great masters of greek and roman literature in his peculiar province he has no superior like cicero or demosthenes or plato or thucydides or tacitus quintilian would be a great man if he lived in our times and could proudly challenge the modern world to produce a better teacher than he in the art of public speaking there were other classical writers of immense fame but they do not represent any particular class in the field of literature which can be compared with the modern i can only draw attention to lucian a witty and voluminous greek author who lived in the reign of commodus 
who wrote rhetorical critical and biographical works and even romances which have given hints to modern authors his fame rests on his dialogues intended to ridicule the heathen philosophy and religion and which show him to have been one of the great masters of ancient satire and mockery his style of dialogue a combination of plato and aristophanes is not much used by modern writers and his peculiar kind of ridicule is reserved now for the stage yet he cannot be called a writer of comedy like moliere he resembles rabelais and swift more than any other modern writers having their indignant wit indecent jokes and pungent sarcasms like juvenal lucian paints the vices and follies of his time and exposes the hypocrisy that reigns in the high places of fashion and power his dialogues have been imitated by fontenelle and lord littleton but these authors do not possess his humor or pungency lucian does not grapple with great truths but contents himself with ridiculing those who have proclaimed them and in his cold cynicism depreciates human knowledge and all the great moral teachers of mankind he is even shallow and flippant upon socrates but he was well read in human nature and superficially acquainted with all the learning of antiquity in wit and sarcasm he may be compared with voltaire and his object was the same to demolish and pull down without substituting anything instead his skepticism was universal and extended to religion to philosophy and to everything venerated and ancient his purity of style was admired by erasmus and his works have been translated into most european languages in strong contrast to the dialogues of lucian is the city of god by saint augustine in which he demolishes with keener ridicule all the gods of antiquity but substitutes instead the knowledge of the true god thus the romans as well as the greeks produced works in all departments of literature that will bear comparison with the masterpieces of modern times and where have been the literature of the early church or of the age of the reformation or of modern nations had not the great original writers of athens and rome been our schoolmasters when we further remember that their glorious literature was created by native genius without the aid of christianity we are filled with amazement and may almost be excused if we deify the reason of man nor indeed have greater triumphs of intellect been witnessed in these our christian times than are produced among that class which is the least influenced by christian ideas some of the proudest trophies of genius have been won by infidels or by men stigmatized as such witness voltaire rousseau diderot hegel fichte gibbon hume buckle may there not be the greatest practical infidelity with the most artistic beauty and native reach of thought milton ascribes the most sublime intelligence to satan and his angels on the point of rebellion against the majesty of heaven a great genius may be kindled even by the fires of discontent and ambition which may quicken the intellectual faculties while consuming the soul and spread their devastating influence on the homes and hopes of man since then we are assured that literature as well as art may flourish under pagan influences it seems certain that christianity has a higher mission than the culture of the mind religious skepticism cannot be disarmed if we appeal to christianity as the test of intellectual culture the realm of reason has no fairer fields than those that are adorned by pagan achievements authorities there are no better authorities than the classical authors themselves and their works must be studied in order to comprehend the spirit of ancient literature modern historians of roman literature are merely critics like dahlmann schlegel niebuhr muller Mommsen, muir arnold dunlap and thompson nor do i know of an exhaustive history of roman literature in the english language yet nearly every great writer has occasional criticisms upon the subject which are entitled to respect 
the germans in this department have no equals end of section 18 end of beacon lights of history volume 1 the old pagan civilizations by john lord